1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the FutureTech, the FutureTech Health Podcast. I have uh, Assistant Professor Hanjaya Putra. He's in the Department of Aerospace and Mechanical Engineering uh, at Notre Dame. Also, Assistant Professor concurrently uh, in the Chemical and Bio- Biomolecular Engineering Department, College of Engineering. And we've been talking about uh, stem cell therapies. So, uh, Donny, thank you for coming.
2: Well, thanks for having me in this program.
1: Yeah, so tell me about the work that you're doing on stem cells. What does it involve?
2: So, yeah, so we in the lab, um, my lab is interested to utilize engineering principle to control stem cell uh, differentiation and try to use it for, particularly to, uh, to use it for digital regeneration and tissue engineering. Um, so we, our, our lab is at the interface between engineering medicine. So we like to use this as a way so we can control the differentiation in a way we can model and treat
1: different diseases, okay, so any specific diseases that you're focused in on uh what what kind of modeling are you doing
2: yeah, so we we are particularly interested in um diseases that associate the the cardiovascular lymphatic system, so anything that uh has a blood vessel and lymphatic vessel, those are particular throughout your body um so the cardiovascular system is the one that is regulate your blood and the lymphatic system is the one that drains all your fluid back to the heart. So uh, those are important to maintain um, tissue hemostatis as well as different nutrients inside your body. So any defect, any disorder in that system will cause different diseases uh, it could lead to uh, peripheral cardiovascular diseases like uh, limb ischemia yeah. or lymphatic uh, disorder could lead into lymphedema, so swelling of the limb.
1: How how does this uh, okay so lymphedema ischemia is that what you're trying to model the action of stem cells in those conditions or I, I don't understand yeah so so um, I'll give you an example
2: here so uh, stem cell is a um, is a cell inside our body and particularly in the circulating blood we know that this cell can give rise to uh, the blood stem cell as well as the vascular stem cell um, as you um uh, we as an adult, we have this stem cell population that can give rise uh, to regenerate, and if you have a, a vessel facial defect, it's this stem cell can repair through it but if you if you have a chronic disease such as cardiovascular disease or diabetic or aging, this number of stem cells is uh becoming lower as we age the number of the stem cells are becoming lower. And as well as the ability for them to regenerate also lower, so they have a defective in the stem cell. So what we're trying to do in the lab is can we use engineering principle to kind of rejuvenate or kind of uh, regenerate the cells so they can become like normal like a healthy cells so they can uh, in fact become degenerate tissue again.
1: do you okay, so what what everyone experiences over time the number of stem cells they have? in a given mm-hmm. tissue decreases. But mm-hmm. what about the efficacy of the remaining stem cells? Does that also go down? And ha- how can we measure that if so?
2: Yeah, those are also goes down. So uh, giving example, like if you expose the stem cell to high sugar content using a the patient with type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes, because there's a lot of uh, high sh- high blood sh- Sugar, uh, sugar in the blood, so it ca- it a uh, defective in this the stem cell. So there's an epigenetic regulation that causes the cell to be defective, and the number is down as well as the efficacy of this uh, the cell is down.
1: Using epigenetic changes, yeah, you believe are what leads to uh, the reduction <laughs> of stem cell populations or the the reduction of efficacy of stem cells.
2: Right. So we we have some data that show that there's some epigenetic changes that cause this defect, um, uh, which is uh, which could also be uh, what we're looking for in the lab now. Is that can we use a small agent, such as either a small molecule or uh, therapeutic drugs that can be used to to kind of interfere with these epigenetic changes so that we can correct this cell back to a normal condition.
1: So, okay, if epigenetics or the mechanism that you think that changes the stem cells, why mm-hmm. not look for a uh, a solution that, or the reasons for the epigenetic changes and maybe how to reverse them instead of a small molecule drug, why look for a drug to interfere or change the function of something?
2: I mean, well, a small molecule is nice because you could take this drug as you could give this to a patient and they can take this orally, right? And if, if this small molecule can have a downstream signaling that can uh, inhibit certain pathway, then it could correct those epigenetic defects as well. So,
1: but if we don't understand the full uh, method by which the epigenetic changes happen and what the changes are, it might mm-hmm. be hard to to create a drug that would uh, reverse that. I mean, hey, for instance, has anyone looked at, let's say, uh, a particular type of stem cell that has a very short lifespan and yeah track the epigenetic changes that happen, the expression changes that happen within that mm-hmm. stem cell. So if we take two types of tissue, and one has very short-lived stem cells, and one has very long-lived ones, have we compared those two situations, for instance, to see the difference in efficacy of the stem cells over time mm-hmm. in those two <laughs> kinds of tissues? Has that been done?
2: Yeah. So um, that's been uh, done The comparison in your how how this uh, healthy and disease pop, uh, cell population differences in terms of the epigenetic, either uh, that one as a metabol- metabolism, how they, uh, they metabolize different uh, nutrients. So those are done. And we we know in the lab is we could uh, use a small molecule that interfere with some sort of those cascades, to kind of correct the
1: cell back
2: to normal phenotypes.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. So what's, um, at what point, would you want to work with someone when they have a disease, or just as young as possible? Um, you know, I know there's some companies that are trying to harvest cells yeah. from a person when they're younger. Like, what's your yeah. method by which you want to uh, help people? So that's that's a great question, right? Because now,
2: cord blood right. banking is becoming a pretty common uh, procedure in in the developing world. Right? So. Um, what if you could bang this cord blood in a way that we could store this cord blood stem cell that eventually you could use this for if if your uh, baby becomes adult and some at some point uh during the development the there's some diseases, can you use the stem cell for those diseases as well as for other relatives, right? So I think the earlier the post uh, the earlier the better so that you could um use it uh, early interfering um uh to To restore this uh, also we we work with this um cord blood now that we know that you could not only use this stem cell as to regenerate but you could also use it to predict future health outcome right so for instance um if we restore this cord blood stem cell and you have a healthy baby that was born from a mother who is not is an uncomplicated pregnancy. Compared to a mother who has a complicated pregnancy, either those are through gestational diabetic or preeclampsia. So those blood are different, right? So on the healthy, the the baby, the infant was born from a healthy mom typically have a normal stem cell, but the the baby, the infant that was born from mom who has preeclampsia or gestational diabetic, those stem cells are different. Uh, we we know lot about how this uh, complicated pregnancy affects the mother, but we do not know a lot about how this complicated pregnancy affects the the infant, the offspring, right? So if you could use this uh, kind of stem set to predict how this baby will grow up, um, whether uh, whether this, because of exposure to early hit early on during their, um, pre- uh, when, when the baby, it caused this um, infant to have uh, develop higher risk for cardiovascular disease or metabolic syndrome later on, those are unknown, right? So, so can you use the stem cell to predict that as well? Those, I think those are pretty exciting new field.
1: So, what kind of models are you studying stem cells in? Are you able to study them somehow in culture, you know, human stem cells, or do you have to use uh, rat stem cells? Like, what's your lab model? so we we like to use
2: a human patient a patient derived uh cell so we we work we collaborate with, uh, with pediatricians uh, pediatric down here in india's school of medicine so they uh, they have the isolate this blood stem cell from a newborn baby and we take this tissue sample and we culture them in the lab and compare if what from a normal pregnancy and compare this to Complicated pregnancy that could be from either diabetic, gestational diabetic, or either preeclampsia, and other uh, differences in the function of this the stem cell. Now, this stem cell also secretes this uh, small exosome, and um, exosome is a small fascicle. So, this cell is secreting this fascicle is a uh, small particle inside the cell. Now, uh, inside this particle, it contain a lot of different. Um, information so it could be either small RNA or protein right so um, those are something interesting becoming more interesting in the field because now you can compare this expression of different exosome and see if you could predict a difference uh, as a biomarker to see if uh, there are difference in these two populations
1: so all right so stem cells in particular well not, not just them but all cells I'm sure but Themselves, right. you've looked and you've seen they, they produce exosomes yeah. little fluid-filled vesicles. Have you um, yeah. been able to get an exosome and characterize exactly what's inside of it? Do they yes. so, tend to uh, customize and custom-package exosomes at different times that have different things in them? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so this, um, I think this is a hot topic recently um, because it seems like this is a small particle that was secreted by the cell. The hard part about that is um there's a lot of different protocol in a way to isolate this axisome and analyze them because you could imagine that this is a small particle, so you have either to centrifuge it at a high concentra- uh, high speed to kinda of concentrate this nanoparticle and then or use a different chemical gradient to kind of isolate them, uh, typically. So um, so once you have those, you could do uh, different analysis. So you could do typically a proteomic to figure out what kind of protein are there. If you're interested in RNA, microRNA, we typically do RNA sequencing to figure out what is microRNA inside there. I mean, microRNA is is a pretty uh, pretty interesting to look into because not only that, this uh, secreted uh, exosome that contain microRNA. And they have, they use this for cell-cell communication. So they, in a way that it is creating this microRNA and this microRNA inside this exosome can go to the next cell to kind of regulate the next cell as a way for them to communicate. So if we know that if a disease, uh, a, a disease cell or stem cell that are exposed to this uh, uh, chronic disease secreting this microRNA, perhaps this microRNA can, can tell us something about why um, and we can use this as a biomarker in the future. So, hmm.
1: What is the size of an exosome on average, and what is the size of a human cell on average?
2: Yeah, so uh, so the exosome in the field, we call it extracellular vesicles. fascicle. So it, there's a big range of this size, right? So uh, ranging from 100, 200 nanometer. Uh, but what we call exosome is something that's smaller than that. So it's around uh, typically around uh ten to fifty nanometer of this are small exosome. Uh and the right. cell uh, so the cell is typically in the micron size. So there's a small this is a small particle that is by the cell.
1: Right. Okay. So and I guess you know cells mm-hmm. put out exosomes but they also take them in. And maybe this yeah. is the method of cell to cell communication, right? Or one of the methods. Correct, correct. So there's a lot of literature
2: out there on cancer, cancer cells secrete this exosome in a way for them to to uh, communicate to other cells and to way uh, to spread um, um, their their message to other cells. And now we're starting to learn that stem cells do the same thing that they secrete also exosome. And inside this exosome, there's a microRNA that regulates other cells. So in a way, can we detect this microRNA and do a rapid screening to see if you can use it as a biomarker.
1: Hmm. And I guess profiling how the exosome expression or the exosomes change over time would give you a lot of clues yeah. maybe as to what's going on. Exactly. It's so complicated and interesting, but it's amazing. You know?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think is, it's is a really it's a hot topic and a lot of people are working on on this still. So it's it an exciting time.
1: Well, so what are some of the new discoveries or surprising things that you've learned? About
2: stem cell yeah. in your lab. Yeah. So I guess um, going back to um, to the first topic that we talked about earlier, that what if you have this corpus stem cell uh, derived from a normal patient or a patient or mother who has a uh, chronic disease? In our case, it's uh, diabetic. So so what we we found is that if you have if you were born from mom who is a diabetic, uh, your corpus stem cell has lower ability to proliferate and they have a defective their ability to form this vessel network. So um, we found that there's um, there's a particular protein that is highly expressed in this cell and typically this expression, this protein is not as high in the normal stem cell. So because of this high expression particular protein, I, um, they are not able to proliferate as well and they're not able to migrate as well. Consequently, because of those, they cannot form blood vessels as well. right? So, uh, a strategy that we have in the lab is can we use small molecules to kind of correct those? So, um, because we know the pathway, the signaling pathway, we could use a small molecule inhibitor to kind of inhibit this protein's expression of this protein. By downregulating this protein, we could uh, effectively. Reduce, uh, reduce this protein level and and consequently we could kinda of recover their phenotypes. So they become like a normal cell, right? We now, mean they become mm-hmm. a normal cell? Yeah, so they can we can rescue their stemness. They can rescue their phenotypes.
1: I mean anytime they're going to repair
2: or mm-hmm. they, you
1: know, anytime they, they do their job, essentially they give up their old job of being a stem cell and now they they've finished their differentiation to the Specific tissue that they're that they, they needs repair, right?
2: Um, correct. So, the, so we're talking about progenitor stem cell. This cell are able to give rise to a daughter cell, right? And typically, this daughter cell have less ability for uh, have less proliferation ability. Um, but what we know, though, even the stem cell uh, from the uh, the disease stem cell. The ability for them to proliferate is less compared to normal one. So if you could rescue, rejuvenate the cell, then they can still proliferate as well as the uh, normal normal stem cell. Does it make sense? Okay. Yeah. So um, you're referring to the dead daughter cell. When once they proliferate, the daughter cell has less ability to proliferate, but it's still their their stemness is. Uh, compared to normal, there's less, right? So, and if it can find a way for for us to kind of rejuvenate the cell, then we could uh, we could still use this this is a stem cell, and it can rejuvenate those uh, progenitor properties so they can regenerate the tissue.
1: Well, what about looking at the different populations of stem cells? You know, I've heard in some Organs and mm-hmm. tissues, the stem cells very mm-hmm. rarely divide, and some they divide constantly, mm-hmm. like hair, nails, mm-hmm. you know, whatever so, you got, so, it, yeah. that kind of stuff.
2: So yeah, so you're talking more about uh, tissue-specific stem cells. So those, uh, when we are born, um, the stem cell lose the ability to to become pluripotent to be to regenerate to other cell types. But as an adult, we maintain this small amount of tissue-specific stem cell that can degenerate, right? And you mentioned about the gut and the nail and the hair and the and the skin a they still um, maintain some tissue specific resident cell stem cells that they are quiescent in a way they are quiescent and but when there's a signal from the outside, the signal will secrete uh, different uh, different cytokines so that the cell will able to now mobilize and proliferate and generate. New daughter cell, and this daughter cell can repopulate to the degenerated tissue, All right? So those cells are uh, very rare. Um, you mentioned about the the one in the skin, the one in the in the gut. So this uh, uh very rare. We uh, also know the one there's this in bone marrow. Those a, a blood stem cell, and and what we current working is also the one in the circulating bloods, and we found the core blood. As well in the peripheral blood, there is a small population of cells that can also give rise to endothelial cell. So those um, those are the cells that we're working with in the lab. So.
1: Are you working with cord blood cells, or are you working with adults themselves?
2: Um, we're working with cord blood cells.
1: Okay, so these are still pluripotent cells. They're not. They haven't no, differentiated no, no, no. at all.
2: No, the cord blood
1: is already an adult, right? Because
2: once they are born produce an adult cell, so this is not very important. This cell, this is a progenitor cell, so this cell can only give rise to the blood cell and in the tail cell.
1: Oh, okay, okay. I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they are different. So you're studying the the stem cells in blood and the stem cells in the endothelium? Correct, correct. Yeah. Okay. So what have you found that's uh, unique or, or interesting about them so far in your studies?
2: yeah what what we found exciting is that we could you could rejuvenate this cell using a different molecule right but now this molecule if you want to use it for cell therapy then in a way you could have to inject this cell and then at the same time you have to give this small molecule inside the circulation so in a way give the drug so um, so so you have to this to concurrent therapy, the cell and then the molecule. So what we taught recently is that rather than doing this co-therapy, can we uh, put this small molecule inside on the surface of the cell? So I think the analogy that I like to give is that in this field, we, talk, we start talking about um, putting nanoparticle in the surface of the cell. So putting like a backpack into the cell, so uh, we we send our the analogy that, that we like to give is that we send soldiers to the, the battlefield and they carry carrying a backpack, right? Inside it this backpack, there's a walkie-talkie or the medicine, right? I mean, the soldier is smart. They know where to go, um, but we give them some equipment so that they can survive in this battlefield. Similarly, this cell, this stem cell, they know where to go inside your body when you inject them. So, but... Uh, from this disease phenotype, we need to rejuvenate them. We need to give them some sort of bioactive molecule. So what we put is we put a backpack into this cell. In, inside this backpack, see, there's a small molecule and there's a drugs so that when the cell needs it, they, this nanoparticle can release this, this molecule that can be used by the cell at the site of injury.
1: Well, they do that. That's what they do naturally, you're saying, or that's what you want to do in no, no. addition of uh, other types of... Drugs. No, they,
2: they don't. I mean, we, we do this ex vivo. So we take the cell out and then we modify it in the lab and we
1: inject this back in vivo. So you're saying you're using the ability of stem cells to very precisely target certain areas of a damaged tissue and then mm-hmm. for them to be the carriers of small molecule drugs that get released. But so this would prevent Correct. a systemic release. It would make a very targeted release of a given given drug. Correct. That's pretty smart. I like that. yeah so
2: we we kind of use their i mean they, they they we inject the cell in order to know where to go, so in a way, can we use it? we hijack the cell or we put a backpack inside the cell so that we could uh, give a small molecule drug to to where they go, so
1: that's really interesting have you um have you tried this yet? Have you taken drugs that um are currently in use that are known to have an effect, and you know given them to your carrier pigeon stem cells to take to the tissue?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not the first one who did it. I think this idea has been there in the field. Um, I think people have been working with hematopoietic stem cell. And I think there's a group in MIT who did this and is a pioneer and working on this. Uh, and his group has been showing that you could take hematopoietic stem cell and there's a stem cell transplantation and in addition to this transplantation, typically patients are taking any ajar from drugs, right? So drug that has to be taken in in concurrently with this stem cell transplantation. So the the idea is, can you can you deliver this drug together with this stem cell? So um, so those are done in hematopoietic stem cell, and we currently looking exploring the same idea and looking in our cord blood stem cell. So can we use this stem cell that can give rise to a new vessel? In a way that if you inject the cell, they can go to the site of injury and repair the the damage in the telium. So can we also put some sort of uh, drugs so that it can also go to the site of injury with this carrier drug area. So we've done this in vitro assay, and we showed that it, it can work in vitro. Uh, we're now currently looking into different in vivo models so we can show that it's a bit effective in vivo.
1: When you package a... Um small small molecule a drug with a stem cell it goes to the right place, mm-hmm. but how do you mm-hmm. time it so that it releases the payload at the right time? How do you signal yeah. that yeah
2: so so that's that's a great question right so that's that's part of the engineering design right so now you start just talking about how do you design this nanoparticle so that in a way you could release this small molecule at the right time so there's multiple ways you could do it uh, we could typically we could use this nanoparticle is uh we, we like to use a, a lipid nanoparticle so it has a, a phospholipid so it has a hydrophilic and hydrophobic tail and under certain conditions, they start forming this micelle that form self assemble into nanoparticle right so so if you could uh, engineer or or somehow um, use a different design or how big is this Tail of this nanoparticle. If you could add regulation of this nanoparticle, if you add different uh, chemical head group, that can affect the thermodynamic of this nanoparticle, and in a way also affect how the drug being released from the nanoparticle. You well, know, this made me wonder.
1: Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Whenever
1: we take a drug,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, get, I i don't even—it's not really talked about, but I would think the body sees it as a foreign. Substance so it would mount an immune response, mount an inflammatory response. Is that yeah. the case? And, and if so, what do you do to stop the stem cell from being attacked itself?
2: Yeah, well, I think there's, when you talk with, with taking drugs, there's multiple different drugs, right? So uh, there's, I think the simplest one is small molecule drugs. This is, could be aspirin or either uh, different uh, agent. So those compound is small enough. That can be effective at the side of the binding side of different uh, on the cell, but it doesn't really affect your immune response. So those uh, the small molecule typically have very low immune response. So this is why probably pharmaceutical company like to work with small molecule. Not only it's easy to synthesize, but also pretty low immune response. Now when we start talking about biologics, so those are involved any in protein. Drugs as well as antibody, so those are larger molecule, right? And typically, this protein and antibody drug, uh, isolate from either cell or either a mammalian cell or so, so uh, mammalian cell or bacterial cell. Because of that, then they have some immunogenic response. So if you inject antibody drugs or protein drug, typically have some sort of immune response, right? So and. Now, we're talking about cell therapy, which is on the other spectrum, which is much bigger than any of this molecule. So, those cells typically give a, a bigger immune response, right? So, uh, uh, this is why uh, we like to use autologous cells. So, if you use your own cell, then it doesn't have a immune response, right? So, if you use a core blood, so core blood typically is your own core blood. So... Is, is autologous stem cell therapy. So hopefully it does give you the lowest immune response. Yeah,
1: okay. I didn't realize that the mm-hmm. small molecules
2: uh, yeah much less immune, yeah. immune response than large ones. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Typically, hmm. the small
2: molecule is, I mean, this is when maybe taking aspirin, taking vitamin D, so those are pretty small. And you take this, typically you go to your liver, and your liver metabolizes this, So, And if you're taking... um. If you're taking antibody or protein drugs, so typically this drug are using IV injection, right? So you cannot take it to, to your gut because in your the acid in your gut will neutralize this antibody or protein right away. So antibody or protein drug typically are given using IV or sub right? So once they hit this the inside the vessel, then you start seeing all these white blood cells looking at this and well, this is a foreign molecule is going to attack them
1: so i just think that's fascinating that the stem cells again can take these small molecule drugs to very specific places because mm-hmm. again this is just my theory but there's a lot of redundancies in the body and a lot of redundant receptors and things like that and it seems yeah. like the problem of a lot of small molecule drugs is that they act systemically and if they acted locally in the area we wanted them yeah. to act, they would have much less side effects so this seems to accomplish that
2: yeah so i think that's that's a problem for any of these drugs, right? So either those are small molecule, protein, or biologic. So they have a very narrow therapeutic window. By therapeutic window, I mean they, they can be effective at a very small doses, right? So, um, but you have to take this at a pretty large doses, orally, and it goes to the circulation, the, and the systemic level is pretty pretty high at the end, right? So, and, and that can cause side effects so any any way that we can reduce this systemic level becoming low and that could pretty um, beneficial for the drugs because now you could start working in a larger therapy window making the the drug more effective but doesn't cause side effects right so
1: well, another thing i thought of is that if um, you're able to target a specific area you could probably mm-hmm. use far less of a given small molecule drug because you don't have to account for diffusion around the body. So you that's can ex- use much, much lower doses and get a better effect.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, if you could kind of localize this, this this drug at the site of injury, then you now you don't need a lot of dosing, uh, systemic dosing, because you could localize it at, at the site of injury. And you could concentrate most of this drug to be effective where it needed, so it doesn't cause any side effect, well,
1: anywhere else in the body. Yeah, how much less? You might be able to use what, like a thousand times less, or ten thousand times <laughs> less. I mean, it seems amazing yeah. that uh, how much more effective this could be.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the most, I guess, the big example is uh, anti-coagulant drug. So this drug is heparin, or um, aspirin so all these drugs can is very good in preventing clot right so they they work very well in preventing blood clot but at the same time the highest circulating right. concentration of this drug heparin drugs can cause side effect right so you can you can cause bleeding right so you could see a lot of lawsuits because of how this drug uh works so good but at the same time can cause bleeding which is pretty dangerous so if in, if we could find a way to kind of localize this this therapeutic um, and this drug so that it can only target where it needed, then in a way you don't cause all these side effects.
1: Yeah, this is like the Uber using stem cells as Uber like a drug. Yeah, that could be. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's really interesting. Is there a name for this field or specialty, or is it just uh, you know modifying oh. stem cells for a purpose?
2: Yes, I mean. Everybody has their own favorite name that you will see, there's this, uh, they they call it cell surface engineering or therapeutic cell surface engineering, there's a stem cell engineering. So in a way, they like using engineering to modify the cell, using different bioactive to put this conjugate into the cell surface. Hmm.
1: Okay. Interesting. Well, mm-hmm. Donny, this has been a great call. Um, what's the best way for people to find out more and to get in contact with your lab or you and ask questions?
2: Yeah, I think it will be, this has been been great discussion as well for me. Uh, I, You can reach out to me. I have a website online, so it's dhplab at andy.edu. So uh, you could reach out to, to check the website. Typically, I try to keep it updated uh, at that website, as well as my email address is dputra1, d-p-u-t-r-e-1, at andy.edu. You could also follow me at Twitter. It's a DHB group. Well, very good. Well,
1: Donnie, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues, but we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.